Good morning. Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Sydney live stream. It's a blessing to be able to broadcast God's word to you and uh, trust that God's blessing you and strengthening you and helping you as you look to him. And uh, looking forward to the time when we can gather together in person. It's definitely far superior, but it is a privilege and a blessing to be able to meet with you in your living rooms or lounge rooms, wherever you might be, to read God's word and to celebrate his goodness toward us all. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us, that you are awesome and mighty and powerful, that you love us so much, that you've given us your word, that you filled us with your spirit, and you've given us understanding of these spiritual mysteries that were hidden from um, the beginning of time, but now revealed through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the Holy Spirit. We pray, God, you'd be honored, that you would be uh, magnified in our hearts as we seek you, that we would put aside the cares and the troubles of this life and draw near to you, trusting you, believing in you, and celebrating you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in Luke chapter 8. If you want to turn there uh, in your Bibles. Growing up, my family, we had a garden that we tended and watered and harvesting. That was definitely the best time. Uh, Each little, each vegetable had its own plot and you'd put the little spear in the ground that said what kind it was. And it always amazed me that these, from these tiny seeds, you'd have these uh, vegetables and these plants grow that produce fruit in season. And I remember planting, well, planting seeds, but also after a successful fishing trip, we would dig holes and bury the fish carcasses for uh, fertilizer for our tomatoes and zucchini and green beans. And it wasn't long after tending the soil and amending it and planting and watering that the little shoots began to emerge. And uh, it was a lot of work, mostly done by my parents, but um, it wasn't, it was always great. You'd have these carrots and beetroot and picking strawberries and digging up potatoes that you ate for dinner. And so patience, preparation, Irrigation, good seed, that was, those were the keys to having a fruitful garden. And we're so blessed to have the good seed of God's word sown into our hearts, that we can read the Bible in our own language, that we can uh, have understanding of the things of God by his grace. And when God's word is mixed with faith in him, we can walk in wisdom beyond this world. We can have life and understanding and guidance for all times of life and I think about before the internet, right? We, we rely on the internet so much um, to know how to garden or anything. Like what kind of bug is this? And how do, what sort of fertilizer do I need? And what's the time to plant or feed the lawn? My daddy always seemed to know what time was the right time of the year to be planting a particular variety. And um, at the same time, so some of them came by the knowledge of us and the preparation and planning of my dad, but other, thi- other times things grew on their own, like we had a watermelon that grew. And uh, a couple years ago at our house, we had this big pumpkin vine that yielded plenty of pumpkins and, and several pumpkin pies worth of food. And it's like, I didn't plan that, but God provided it by his grace. And how gracious God is to provide fruitfulness that if left to its own would have been barren and without fruit. It would have been lifeless. So we come to our passage today, Jesus continuing his ministry in Israel in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God 
and the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. Jesus, with his disciples, they traveled through, it says, all the cities, every village, preaching. And the main theme of Christ's message was the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. His point of emphasis was uh, proclaiming the goodness and the majesty of God, the attractiveness of his kingdom, and that all were invited to enter. Everyone can enter the kingdom of God through faith in Christ. And we, we know through the scripture, Jesus did not shrink from the subject of hell and damnation for sin. But he emphasized here the beauty of the gospel, the grace of God, the acceptance of all people uh, when we repent and trust in Christ as our Savior. And this is the gospel, that man, God is holy, man is condemned because of his sin, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is salvation, being born again through faith in Jesus, that we've been made righteous by his grace, that we are now children of God, and anyone in their right mind, they're going to back away from the horrors of hell. But Jesus wanted to direct people's attention to look to God and his kingdom and to want to be part of that, to desire it. So he wasn't scaring people into heaven, uh, but rather turning their attention to the glory of God's kingdom and the place that he would prepare for them in it if they would follow him and trust him. Luke explains that in addition to the 12 disciples, Jesus called, uh, there was a group of women that traveled with him. And these were people who Jesus healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene among them. It says she was delivered of seven demons. She followed him as Lord. It seems that she hailed from Magdala in Galilee, but the Bible really says nothing else about her. It seems that tradition has been happy to fill in some gaps, but we don't know anything besides she was a follower of Jesus and she was faithful during her life. And even at the death of Christ and his resurrection, she was there. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, uh, Herod's steward, Susanna, they were women of note who followed. And it says they provided for Jesus from their substance. So along with the disciples, they helped financially support Jesus as he ministered the gospel. Jesus supplied the spiritual blessing and they were willing to provide the spirit for his physical needs and he was glad to receive them. He humbled himself to receive gifts from his creation, from those that he had freely helped. I like what Olhausen wrote. He said, Jesus was not ashamed to penetrate so far into the depths of poverty as to live upon the alms of love. He only fed others miraculously. For himself, he lived upon the love of his people. He gave all things to men, his brethren, and received all things from them, enjoying thereby the pure blessing of love, which is then only perfect when it is at the same time both giving and receiving. Such a good point that the love of God is both giving and receiving. Uh, action beyond words, beyond sentiment, for the good of others at, at your own cost. Those who received Jesus and his word, their life was marked with this by love, a fruit of the spirit that comes only when we're born again through Jesus Christ. Jesus, he's dependent upon the father for all things, and yet he humbly receives uh, provisions from the hands of his followers. This wasn't payback. Jesus had freely forgiven them and he taught them and they also freely gave to meet his needs. 
Jesus left room for people to be blessed in blessing him. And it's good for us to learn too. We all have room to grow both on the giving and the receiving side of things, of showing love. Okay, Luke 8 verse 4. And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down. And the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. A large group of people gathered from all over to hear Jesus teach and to preach, and he taught using parables. And this is a way that he used familiar examples to illustrate spiritual truth. And it's important to understand that parables are not allegorical, where every minute detail has a specific application. The context, it helps us to understand what, why Jesus told the parable, so whom he's speaking to, what's the situation that's happening. And in many cases, Jesus explains the parable, so we don't have to guess what each part of it matters or what significance it has. We have to be mindful not to spiritualize them or erroneously make a type that we then plug into other passages of Scripture saying that it's limited to this meaning because that leads to incorrect conclusions and interpretations. So in the parable, a sower went out to sow seed. And he identifies several kinds of soil where the seed fell. It seems like the, the seed was just indiscriminately thrown. It was just cast everywhere. Like there was all the seed in the world to give. Some falls by the wayside of the footpath and the birds ate it. Others, it fell on rocky soil. And like where that silt-rich uh, dirt would have accumulated on stone, the seed would have germinated and sprouted, but without root, when the sun got hot it would wither without the moisture. Other seed, it grew, but along with weeds that choked it of fruitfulness. And in contrast to the first three, we have this seed that falls on good soil and it springs up, produces a hundredfold crop. Now it's evident that the farmer, he sowed seed for a purpose. He wanted fruitfulness. He was looking to feed his family, to have uh, food with which to trade. He wasn't sowing seeds to have a windbreak or because he wanted to have erosion control. It was the aim to reap a harvest. That's why he was sowing. And it's clear that Jesus fast forwards through this process because we know that plants don't grow in a day and they don't bear fruit in a day. But he, he tells us where it lands and he gives us the end result that it's going to be common knowledge how it's going to end up. And the good seed sown everywhere over time, it was revealed which conditions were the best, the most fruitful. So after finishing the parable, Jesus just calls out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Since we are created by God and we believe he's given us ears for a purpose, we recognize that he wants us to hear and to understand. That's why he's given us ears. And God's will is for all people to choose to listen to him and to heed what he says, to adjust our lives accordingly, to hear his word and say, wow, I'm not measuring up. So Lord, I repent of that and help me to choose your way. God who gave us ears, he also gave us fingers that we can use to plug our ears. And he's given us a voice that we can use to drown out his voice. 
But he, he desires that we would listen to him and we would use our ears to hear him. We would see where we stand. Recognizing a sound, doesn't it help you to make the appropriate response? It's kind of like when you're in bed and you hear the backup alarm of the rubbish truck. That's a bit of a nuisance, right? I mean, it's 4 a.m. You don't want to be waking up at that hour and you hear this beep, beep, beep. You're like, ugh. But you would treat that alarm as a very different sound than the alarm that you've set so you can rise up early and go to work or to go on your holiday or be at the airport in time. There was a reason why you set your alarm and so the purpose was served. Now, if I was in an alley at 4 a.m. and the truck was backing up, it could save my life. It, could, it would warn me that I need to get out of the way. Hearing the, the, the squeaky toilet fan going, you recognize that's a different sound than rats scurrying around in the attic. And based upon what you hear, you take an appropriate response. So it's like I hear the fan on, the toilet's occupied, I need to go to the other one. But if you hear the rats in the attic, well, then it's time to either call the exterminator or do some examination yourself. So it's important to know who is talking. Jesus is talking, the Son of God. And he's not just some guy hawking the Jerusalem Herald with uh, opinion columns and satire. He's speaking forth the Word of God. And so when you hear Jesus speak, it should arrest us. It should get our attention. And we should take the appropriate action to what he's saying, to heed it, to walk in line with it to receive his instruction as gospel. Luke 8, verse 9. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. This is one of those rare occasions when the disciples came to Jesus and actually asked him to explain what he meant. It's a wonder they didn't ask him every time. And maybe, maybe they asked him more than it is written. But quite often they were pretty sure they knew what he was saying. I think John 10, 6 better indicates the norm. It says, they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. That's probably pretty clear. Jesus spoke to be heard and understood. And he always answered honest questions of those who believed in him. By the grace of God, it is given to the children of God to know the mysteries of the kingdom. And these mysteries, they cannot be discovered through observation or study, but they must be divinely revealed. Without God's help, we could never understand his word. We could never know how to properly apply it to our lives. Jesus said, to the rest, it is given in parables. And then he quoted from Isaiah 6, 9, which says, and he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Parables, they were used as, God by, they were used as a tool by God to deliberately reveal truth and to invite the, the seeker to investigate further. But the truth at the same time was hidden from unbelievers because they refused to walk in it. They didn't want to hear it. Parables, we could compare them to a doorway that it's like, here's, if you're willing, you can walk through this door and know more. Like the disciples on our own, we can't know the meaning of parables unless Jesus reveals it to us. Jesus provides the key information so we can interpret them. Parables are not like uh, an English assessment that if you have a creative enough mind, you can justify to have it mean whatever you want. Um, but praise the Lord, it's been given us to us to know the truth. 
and that God empowers us to understand enough to walk in it and to begin to change accordingly. Luke 8, 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Jesus then explained the parable to the curious disciples who questioned him. Now notice not all the people to whom he spoke the parable were interested to hear the explanation of the parable. Jesus then identifies the key players. He identifies the seed as the good word of God and the ground as those who hear. So there are four different hearers and the good word of God that has sprinkled upon all of them. When you look at a photo album that's of your family, it's likely that you look for pictures of yourself. You take extra note of those. Uh, And there's two things to keep in mind concerning these parables. And this one, it's good to take this personally, to identify what kind of hearer you are. We'll see that Jesus says, be careful how you hear. It's not what you think about how others are hearing or not listening. It's kind of like when you you're telling, you're giving an instruction as a parent and one of your kids says about the other, well, he's not doing it or she's not listening. That doesn't matter. It's about you. This is between God and you. It's not what kind of hearer everybody else is. This is what kind of hearer you are. So take it personally, okay? What sort of hearer are you? And, and we also need to understand every farm in Galilee had all four of these kinds of soil present. They were all simultaneously there. It would do us little good if we just imagine like, well, I'm born again, so I'm number four. I'm obviously fruitful. No, we're we're a combination of all of them at the same time because ground cultivated today can lay fallow tomorrow. Seed that's been planted can be driven over by a car as you go to another part of the property. And and we know this, that, that our ears can have the ability to tune out people, right? If we want to ignore them or if we're distracted, our hearts can be selectively hard. So we'll look at each of these hearers briefly in turn. The first hearers, they are like ones uh, where the seed falls on the footpath. It's trampled. It's stolen from our hearts by the devil who is a thief and the father of lies. And it's poor exegesis to assume birds allude to the devil in other parables uh, because Jesus the Holy Spirit came and descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, being a bird. So it's not that birds always represent something bad. That would be a, uh, a poor um, illustration or interpretation. But the devil, he seeks to thwart the word of God from going forth. He wants to steal away the wisdom that God provides. I remember having a conversation with a man in Jerusalem about the things of God and, and things were getting really interesting and getting much more personal after a slow start when suddenly his phone rang and, and it interrupted and ended the conversation. 
But I can know that by speaking the word of God, not my word, but God's word, that that word is going to, it had, some of it might be stolen away, but it could fall on ground that's been prepared and grow in time to spring up into fruitfulness and new life. There's no question that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. As it says in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Paul writes, therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. No man can blame the devil for stealing away the seed. Like, I would have believed if the devil hadn't stolen the seed away. No, you can take heed to how you hear. That's the point. What kind of hearer are you? The second hearer, they were compared to rocky ground. They received the word of God with joy, and it, but it takes no root in their hearts. It shows their early days with Christ, it seems that there is a, a genuine conversion. There, there seems to be growth, uh, joy, happy to study the Bible, even be baptized, but they believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. So when life was agreeable, when conditions were ideal, when it was early in their experience with Christ, they were joyful to receive God's word. They showed signs, what we would think to be spiritual life and regeneration. But when trials came, when difficulties came, they fell away. They cannot grow to a maturity because that good seed never took uh, root to an adequate level to receive the moisture. They had a superficial association with Christ, but in time they fall away. Now the third here compared to seed that's sown among thorns. Jesus said that these hear the word, but they're choked with cares, riches, pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. So the ground's been cleared. These weeds grow up with the desired seed that was sown, but because they're fighting for nutrients, the weeds went out. I mean, you don't have to plant weeds and they'll grow everywhere. Um, no fruits brought to maturity. All people have cares. All people have things to manage, money to manage. But the pursuit of wealth, the pleasures of life, the pursuit of those things, rather than God, it can hinder God's word from having the fruitfulness he intends in our lives. So business, busyness, worries, worldly perspectives on what's important and what's, what should be the pursuit of our lives that can have a negative spiritual impact to the point where God's word becomes impotent. It is not producing fruit when it could. You might be happy with mowing the weeds, but God wants more than green. He's looking for fruit. That's why the farmer planted the seed in the first place. Finally, the fourth here, those who hear God's word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. The only way that anyone can have a good and a noble heart is when we've been born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Noble, that means to be virtuous and honest, good. Jesus said, there is no one good but God. The only way that we could be remotely good is that God lives within us, that we've been born again, we've been begotten of him, and now begin to reflect him to the world. Now, I can't explain the miracle of salvation, 
how we were dead in sins, but at the call of Christ, we heard him and responded to that call. Any more than I can explain the, the intricacies of how a seed is sown, how it germinates, how it grows into a plant, and how it produces fruit after its kind. I know it happens. I can't explain in detail how it happens. And it's the same thing with spiritual rebirth. Um, the fruit of the Spirit, having been born again, is now love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So the sort of hearer you are, it is demonstrated by your life as either the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told a parable about those who hear the word of God and do it. He said, it's like a man who builds his house upon the rock that could withstand the wind and the waves and the storm. The one who hears but does not obey is like the man who builds his house in the stand. Ultimately, it's going to fall. It's not going to be able to withstand the trials of this life. Now, we are most blessed that God's provided the good seed of his word to scatter, uh, scatter it everywhere, that all have the opportunity to believe and be saved. I was looking into some of the uh, statistics by the White, Whitecliffe Bible translators, and uh, you know there's 698 different languages that the Bible's been translated into. Those are full scriptures. The New Testament has been translated into 1,548 translations, and then there's another um, uh, 1,138 languages that there's select sections of the Bible available. But there's still a lot of work going on, and it takes about 20 years to translate the New Testament into a, a different language from the original texts, and also about 30 to do the whole Bible. So it's a huge amount of work. It's really a, a, it's a, it's a commitment of, of love towards the Lord to continue this work. So I read that it was on the same site that there's about 4,000 languages that do not have a Bible in their language. That's 171 million people out of 7.5 billion who a vast majority um, have a Bible or scriptures in their own language. So that's 0 0.0228 that do not have scriptures in their language. So it's a huge majority that do have some scriptures in the language and there's so much tireless work being done to continue translating it for those 171 million people that Jesus Christ died for, that he loves. And so I applaud those who make this their life's pursuit to, to translate the word of God, to spread the word of God, to live out the truth of the word of God. Um, the point is a lot of good seed has gone out the fault is not a lack of seed, but the resistance of the hearers, that we do not hear how we should. We do not receive it, and we are not fruitful as we ought to be. So we got to, again, take this to heart. Luke 8, verse 16, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. Now, this is not a new subject. Jesus is following on from what he just said. We see the words for and therefore there. They establish he's not moving on to a new subject, that this is directly related to what he said previously. 
like a farmer scatters good seed for the hope of a harvest, a light was lit for the purpose of giving light to everyone in the house so everyone could see it and benefit from it. Our eyes, they require light to see colors, to read, to write, to do work. And Jesus said, no one is going to light a lamp and then cover it with a vessel because that would um, cut off the oxygen. It would snuff out the light. Um, Nobody would light a lamp and then put it under the bed because the bed would be hiding the light. It would be covering it and uh, not to mention being a fire hazard. The purpose of lighting a lamp and placing it on, on a lampstand is that everyone could see it. If you didn't want light, you wouldn't light a candle. So you light a light for the purpose of being able to see. And in the same way, that farmer, because he desires fruitfulness, he plants a harvest, believing that it's going to produce. In Psalm 119, 105, God's word, it's compared to a guiding light. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It would be silly to light that lamp and just be trying to look at the stars, right? I mean, that light would hinder you from seeing the stars. But if you have the light down here and you're walking along a path, it would be useful to actually be looking down and use the light to guide you rather than tripping over obstacles and then losing the light and having it break. Jesus continues by saying, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. So in the parable of the sower, the second, third, and fourth hears, at one point, they all resembled the same thing. They looked fine. There was that promise of fruitfulness there. You perhaps wouldn't be able to tell them apart. But over the passage of time, you could see who really heard it and responded to it. Or those who heard it believed for a while, but the trials and tribulations of life caused them to fall away. Or the cares of this life, they ensnared and sapped. They choked out the good word of God so it was unfruitful. Jesus is saying the hidden condition of your heart, the kind of hearer you are, it's going to be brought to light. In another place, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That the fruit of our lips is an indication of what's going on in our heart. If we're filled with cursing, well, we will speak curses. If it's blessing, then we will speak blessing. And Jesus says, therefore, take heed how you hear For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. So all four heard the word. They all heard what was said, but it was only fruitful in one of them. Fruitfulness, it comes by the grace of God through faith marked by obedience. If we are faithful to hear the word of God and do it, he will continue to speak us. We will get more illumination from the scripture. We'll get more guidance from him. The fruit tree, if you had a, a, a two fruit trees, let's say, one of them is bearing a lot of fruit. Well, that tree is going to get some special attention. You're going to cover it when the frost comes. You're going to prune it. You're going to make sure that it's protected. But if there's trees that it's a fruitless fruit tree that year after year produces nothing, you're like, what's the point? I really want to get lemons or I want peaches or I want plums or whatever crop you desire. Um, I'd rather some avocados than no avocados. So then that tree will be cut down. If we're the equivalent of a hardened footpath with no desire to hear or to do, we should not be surprised we're not impacted by the wisdom of God when it's not changing us. We've experienced this. If someone is ignoring you and they don't want to talk to you and they don't want to hear you, 
there's really no need to talk to them. But if your son comes to you and asks for help, a loving father is going to respond to that. And in the same way, someone who has a heavenly father, God is going to continue to give them more and more of himself, more of his wisdom, more of his protection and help. Whereas the other one who does not have a, I mean, he, he has the hope of a father, but even he, the life that he has, it will someday be gone, taken away from him. When we're born again and the Holy Spirit lives within us, the true riches of the kingdom of God are ours because Jesus Christ, who is our life, supplies every need. The birds, they eat up the good seed. The sun wilts the plants. The weeds choke out the fruitfulness. And in that seed, there's great potential for new life, for spiritual fruit from God's word. But unless it's received into our hearts and obeyed and put into practice, then it's not going to produce as God intends. That's why people who believe in God's existence, they can, they've heard Bible stories, they can recite scriptures, they're not guaranteed spiritual fruitfulness. The word of God impacted their minds and they received it initially with joy, but they haven't, it hasn't reached their heart. That's been broken through repentance for sin and a desire to draw near to God as Christ's disciple. Luke 8, 19, then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus is teaching Mary and his brothers come to see him. And it's clear from scripture that Mary did not remain a virgin after the birth of Jesus. And with Joseph, she and he had children. And uh, just to confirm this, after the angel of the Lord told Joseph that Mary had conceived a child through the Holy Spirit and not to be afraid to take Mary as wife, it says in Matthew 1, 24 and 25, then Joseph being aroused from sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Jesus is Mary's firstborn son, which strongly alludes to the fact that she had other sons. Uh, it says here that Joseph did not have sexual relations with her until after Jesus was born, meaning that after Jesus was born, they did have marital relations. In fact, Matthew 13, 55 and 56, it mentions four of Jesus' half-brothers by name. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary as a virgin, but there were four other brothers he had besides, and that he had half-sisters as well. So he was the oldest of at least seven children that Joseph and Mary had, or that Mary had bore. So Jesus, he's informed that uh, his mother and brothers had come. These weren't the Jews. They weren't his brothers because uh, he, he hadn't called them his brethren yet, those believers. Um, but his, his people that he shared genetics with, his flesh and blood, they desired to see him. We know from other passages at this stage of Jesus' ministry, his own brothers did not believe he was the Messiah. Jesus did not do what people expected. They would have expected him perhaps to go, okay, let's have a break and go out and see them or to show them some sort of honor or privilege or preference, but he doesn't. It says, but Jesus said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Again, we have this hearing, right? It's this theme throughout the whole passage. 
Jesus was talking to his disciples. He was speaking about Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, who received his word with joy and it was fruitful in their lives. They were following him. They were supplying his physical needs. They were listening to him. They were conversing with him. They were begotten again by faith in the son of God. There were plenty of people who wanted to see Jesus like kids want to see the hippos at the zoo. I mean, they wanted to see him, but they didn't believe in him. Jesus is saying, these are, this is my family right here. These are the people that are the children of God. Those who hear the word of God and do it. The bonds of family on earth, they're temporary. Jesus had a relationship with his disciples that transcended blood and genetics. He doesn't, didn't deny his family connection of the woman Mary who bore him or his brothers who wanted to see him. We know that he loved and he cared for them. At the same time, he elevated those who hear the word of God and do it to a higher station than Mary, than his brothers. Because God is the greatest. He is the one to be honored and obeyed. And the invitation to hear and obey Jesus, to have a relationship with him, it's extended beyond the Jews to the Gentiles and to you and to me. He's given us an opportunity to have a relationship with the living God, to know him, to hear him, and bear spiritual fruit for his glory. So what sort of hearer are you of God's word? Do you have a thriving, fruitful relationship with Jesus Christ? You need and I need a new heart that only faith in Jesus Christ can give. Having heard the good word, our lives should be marked with the fruit of the Spirit. I like that one of the half-brothers of Jesus, James, having believed, he later wrote this in James 1, 22 and 20, 21 and 22. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's pretty sobering, right? You have those, the second and third, the one in the shallow soil, the rocky soil, and the one in the thorny or the, the, uh, the weedy soil. They would have thought they had a relationship with God, but they didn't. It was only those who heard the word of God and who did the word of God that Jesus says, this is my mother, this is my brother. This is my sister. The one who hears the word of God and does it. Praise the Lord. His word is good that he still speaks. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And may we hear God's word and do it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, that it is quick and powerful. And it just pierces us, Lord, that we have often heard. We have often not done and we've also deceived ourselves if we think that we have, be, based upon hearing you, that we've obviously done what you've said. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to convict us, that you would refine us, that you would continue sanctifying us to be your holy children, those that are born again, having hearts born again, but also renewed through the reading of your word and hearing what you're saying. Help us to cultivate, Lord, to break up the fallow ground of our hearts, to draw near to you, receiving your word in faith and having it marked by obedience. Thank you for the examples, Lord, that you give us and for uh, being so accessible and loving towards us all. We love you, Lord, and we praise and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.